0: This is for the culture, topics we speaking on take it easy, breaking down barriers, building bridges of need, father stretch your hands to youth out of your reach, this the Mecca Gordon's lecture is glowing up to their seats, let's begin upon a topic, and since we going hard in it should take off like a rocket, extra drip leaking faucet, heart ain't on my sleeves because my brain's not in the closet, this one about capital, tell me what's in your wallet, this the Mecca, yes sir. Diamonds made from pressure. I'll make it real for you if you take your time to dress up. Post a service attitude, that's how I
1: dress up. Rain down with gratitude and praise an umbrella, the Mecca. Welcome to the Mecca Podcast. We are so excited to launch this new platform and bring you topics and conversations that discuss college athletics through our lens. In our inaugural episode, we have a great show for you. An amazing guest that may be familiar to some and new to others. Dr. Leonard Moore, the VP of Diversity and Community Engagement at the University of Texas at Austin, was the creator of the Black Student-Athlete Summit. If you haven't been, you need to go. This is where Mecca began. Last year, after attending the Black Student-Athlete Summit and walking away feeling extremely inspired and recommitted to the work, Julian Jones, Ron Moses and Armani Dawkins, decided to take what started as a small group of people who were going to attend the conference and expand it to a group of people that was inclusive of individuals working in college athletics who self-identified as multicultural. The group blew up overnight. It was amazing to see what we as an underrepresented group of people have truly always known. Considering being told that we don't exist in administrative roles within college athletics, We, in fact, do. We're out here, qualified, capable at all levels and all divisions. The community has grown and currently sits at close to 500 members. It's become a digital space to share experiences, ideas, professional development tips, challenges, and successes. Understanding our history, it was important to start this podcast with the trailblazer who created the event that brought us all together. Stay tuned for a one-on-one with Dr. Leonard Moore.
2: You're listening to The Mecca Podcast, Episode 1, Through Our Lens, with our host, Corey Pinkett.
1: Looking for something to read? Mecca has you covered. Here are some suggested books from our group. The Power of Who by Bob Bodine, Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes, and Black Privilege by Charlemagne God. back to the Mecca Podcast episode one. We're here with our first guest, Dr. Leonard Moore. So Dr. Moore, talk to us about what inspired you to even start the Black Student Athlete Summit.
0: I just basically uh, started out of my own experiences. You know, I was, uh, this goes back 25 years to let you know how long I've been in the game. It probably did, the, the genesis of it probably came in fall 94. It's a long time ago, man, when I was a Ph.D. student at Ohio State, and uh, I started tutoring these brothers on the football and basketball team. Just started doing it to make money, man. But after a while, man, I began to notice that these brothers, that, that, you know, that what we saw on Saturday afternoon, the games, were, it was just one highlight of their life, and it, it wasn't holistic at all. And so, I, you know, I would have the brothers at the apartment, man, studying and tutoring to help them prepare for exams and stuff like that, and they just began to share their experiences. And I realized... Um, that there was a great need there because nobody nobody cares about them you know I mean I, I tell I tell a lot of athletes other than your head coach um, and your parents who's really concerned about you getting a degree you know people want to see you perform so I was I left Ohio State 98 man and I went to LSU I was at LSU for nine years and I've been at Texas for 12 and so that's always been a passion of mine to to make sure that I'm well connected with the black student athletes on campus.
1: Were there any concerns or blowback from administration or athletics on creating this platform and space?
0: Why do we even ask a question like that? I mean, I think we ask a question like that because, I mean, you know, and I get that a lot. And it's, 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 I, and, I, and sometimes I don't understand to, what's there to be scared of. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I think, you know, I know there are a lot of young professionals listening. And, but if you know you're right, what is there to be scared of? You know, um, I, believe, I really believe God has called me to help students student-athletes are students, and the black ones, student-athletes, have some of the greatest needs at most universities. Um, you think about their, their demanding uh, time demands of their sport. Um, put on top of that a demanding academic load. Put on top of that, very, very underrepresented in the classroom, overrepresented on the field, on the court. So there's nothing to be scared of. And, and I think, um, you know, that we need, you know, more professionals, black, white, Latino, Asian, otherwise, just to be courageous and do what's right and quit worrying about how other people are going to perceive it.
1: Talk to us about year one. What was successful and what did you immediately identify as something that needed to get better in order to make this work?
0: Well, you know, I've never worried about numbers. You know, I I tell people, you know, I I really believe, I try to operate on God's economy, you know, meaning... um, that I do what he asked me to do? You know, so whether one person showed up or a thousand, um, I wasn't concerned about that. I know that when, um, I knew there was a need for it and I knew the, you know, a lot of the private conversations I would have with athletic directors. I mean, this stuff is sensitive for athletic directors to talk about, you know, but I knew what they were talking about privately. <laughs> you know, I know that they get calls from boosters when they see the brothers out there with tatted up, locks, gold teeth, all that. They get calls and, and emails all the time. Um, and so, I mean, I just knew that we just kept at it. You know, we, we would have success. But again, I can't, I can't get caught up in the numbers piece. And this is for a lot of young leaders listening. Have you ever been to a meeting or something, and the meetings will start at 7 o'clock, and like at 7 o'clock, and maybe three or four people there? And the leader will say, well, we're going to uh, start in about 10 minutes, give more people time to come. My feeling is when you do that, you've just disrespected the people who came there on time. And so for me, man, it's just all about putting out a good product with good content. And, you know, I I wasn't worried all about people coming.
1: Now, after five years of hosting this summit, discuss what you've seen from a growth and impact standpoint.
0: Well, there's a lot of interest, you know, and I I often remind people that everything that's big is not healthy. Some things are big because they're swollen. (laughs) All right. And so... For me, it's not about having 400 people like we had this year. It's about, you know, having the right people in the room. And that doesn't—I don't need university presidents. I don't need athletic directors. You know, I need people, man, who really engage with the black student-athlete on a day-to-day basis. So even the the intern fresh out of undergrad making $28,000 a year who's working in the academic center— that woman can have a lot of impact on young men and women just from encouraging them on a daily basis. So um, that's just the way I look at it.
1: With that being said, what makes the summit a success for you?
0: The content. I mean, I really like the content that that we're putting out. I really like to see the large number of uh, women that are involved, not only presenting. you got more people now researching the experiences of black women in athletics. That's powerful. But what's powerful to me, man, is when you meet um, people who've been coming to the conference for the last five years, and they're getting, you know, they're getting promoted. They're getting, you know, positions with more responsibility. And so for me, man, the whole goal was to play long ball. You know what I mean? I think our first conference was 2015, 2016, something like that. Um, I think what you'll see 10 years from now is that, you know, we take those group pictures every year, and there's a reason we do it. Um, I think 10 years from now, you'll look up and you'll see, we'll be able to look through some of those photographs and be like, these are the people who changed
1: the face of college athletics. When we come back, We will discuss the future of the summit with Dr. Moore.
2: You're listening to the Mecca podcast, episode one through our lens with our host, Corey Pinkett.
1: For those of you seeking to grow professionally, consider adding these books to your must read list. The five dysfunctions of a team by Patrick Lencioni. The difference maker by John Maxwell Crucial Conversations, Tools to Talking When Stakes Are High, by Al Switzler, Joseph Grinney, and Ron McMillan. The Way of the Shepherd, Seven Ancient Secrets to Managing Productive People, by Dr. Kevin Lemon and Bill Pentak, and The Culture Code, The Secrets of Highly Successful Groups, by Daniel Coyle. We're back with Dr. Moore. So now that you've completed year five of the summit, where do you see it going in the next five years? And in addition to that, what would you change, keep the same, or add to make the experience even better?
0: I think one of the challenges when you have something growing and a good product, I think one of the biggest challenges and the biggest temptations is to um, want to expand. So I've had people want to come on as big-time sponsors. We've had people wanting us to do Regional summits across the country. I've had people say, "Well, Leonard, you need to do this to get more athletic directors there." No, we're going to make we're going to be true to our audience. You know what I mean? And 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 here's a good analogy. There was a story about a singing group, a rock and grow, roll group in the 1970s. You know, they every city they went to sold out crowds and all that because they spoke to the audience. But they were convinced that if they just changed up their music, they could attract more people. And so they changed up their music didn't attract more people and they lost their audience and so what i tell people all the time is just speak to your audience you know what i mean we spend too much time trying to adjust our message trying to get people involved who aren't even interested you know what i mean so um we just got to stay true to our core and true to our true true to our base and audience
1: for those individuals who have never attended the summit before or don't know about it what would be your pitch to get them interested
0: it's an it's a niche audience. I mean, you know, we're gonna talk about the black student athlete for about three days, <laughs> you know. And for those of us who are passionate about it, those of us who who look at this work as a ministry, it is uh, it's probably the greatest three days of our professional on our professional calendar. Um, but I would say, you know, if this is not the place for you to come and shine, it's not the place for you to come and try to build a platform. It's not the place for you to come and try to. Um, market your business, I think it's a place for you to come and check your ego at the door. I mean, if you notice, you know, we, on our name tags, we don't put Dr. Anybody, you know, we, you know, we just try to operate on a first name basis. Um, but I think if, the, if you're really passionate about this, and I think you'll, you'll enjoy it.
1: So Dr. Moore, when starting this, did you ever think that the summit would have this much of an influence on people of color working in college athletics? Furthermore, did you ever think that a group like Mecca would form? And eventually, start a podcast to help further the conversation on the importance of diversity and inclusion in college athletics.
0: I knew it had the potential to be influential because you know I would talk to a lot of um, you know black folks who work in athletic departments across the country, but they were like a unicorn. You know, they would see stuff, but they would have nobody to vent to. You know what I mean? So they got to go home and talking to their spouse or whatever about what they would you know what they what they saw. And I remember when we started the first year, you know. Got so many emails and people come to the conference saying, I knew I wasn't the only one thinking about this stuff. You know <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I think what we've developed and I think what you all have developed is kind of a group out of it. Uh, but the challenge for the group, man, and, and if, and if, if you all can hear me on this, the challenge for the group is not about just getting titles, getting promoted. You know, are you interested in doing the work? Because some people like groups because it gives them uh, a platform, it gets them some position. And so, you know, I'm not, I don't know much about the group, but the person leading the group needs to be the most courageous. You know, the person leading the group needs to, you know, talk about what the issues are. And, and, and let me push back on one thing. You know, we, we, like to talk, we, we like to use the phrase people of color a lot. Um, but I think when we use that phrase, we diminish uh, different people's experiences. You know, I think the, the, the Latino experience in college athletics is totally different than the black experience in college athletics. You know what I mean? I think even even, even deeper, um, I saw at the conference this year, some of the issues some of our students from the continent have is, you know, are different. So when we say people of color, I mean, we love to have this big tent. You know what I mean? But I think when you look at college athletics in 2019, the African-American athlete is the, is, is the bell cow, for lack of a better phrase. The African-American athlete is the economic engine. You know, so I would really like to see this group really focus in on the African-American experience.
2: Have a question for our host or our guest of the Mecca Podcast? Send us an email to mecapodcast at gmail.com. That's M-E-C-A podcast at gmail.com. Or you can submit it via Twitter. The handle is at Mecca
1: back with dr moore vice president of diversity and community engagement at the university of texas at austin it's now time for questions from mecca so dr moore what inspires you to continue doing the work that you do
0: i tell people man it's, it is amazing what can get done when you check your ego at the door and you don't worry about who gets the credit i mean for me what inspires me every day i really believe you know coming out of high school with a 1.6 gpa and jackson state give me an opportunity to make something myself, and, and, and managing to get a PhD at 26. I've been a professor 22 years. Um, for me, man, is seeing students graduate with options. You know, I mean, gr- graduation, I mean, that that bar is so low. I mean, I hear coaches say, well, if you come here, you're going to graduate. Well, that's it? <laughs> you know. So for me, man, how do you elevate the conversation? You know, it, it's, yes, these kids want to graduate, but what are they graduating to? Because some of our kids are graduating and they're getting jobs with a college degree they could have got with a high school diploma. And to me that's a sign of failure. And so for me what motivates me to do the work man is to make sure these young men and women who play college athletics D1, D2, D3 level NAIA is that when the athletic career is over they walk into something just that more that, that is more fulfilling than a game could ever than they could ever imagine in, in terms of like a game or something like that.
1: What is the biggest resistance to change as it relates to diversity and inclusion that you continue to see?
0: The biggest resistance to change is ourselves. I mean, it's like, like, like the second question y'all asked me, you know, what was the blowback? You know what I'm saying? And so we, I think we have been conditioned not to advocate on behalf of people. And to me, um, making sure the black athlete is taken care of, it may be a social justice issue to some people. It may be a moral issue to others. But take those two issues off the table. Isn't it? Doesn't it just make good business sense? <laughs> you know, if I'm an athletic director in, in Los Angeles or wherever Illinois, doesn't it make sense for me to understand as much as I can about the black student athlete, where they come from, what issues they deal with when they get on campus? And so for me, it can be it can be transactional. You know, if if nothing else, why do we worry about resistance all the time? I, I tell young people, you know that. A lot of people are being conditioned to get a degree and go work a job for 30, 35 years and to sit there every day, put your head down, work hard, and hope you'll get picked for the next position. Don't work like that no more. You know what I mean? And I don't know how it is in in, in other places, but I know parts of California, Texas. You know, if there's some intersections you can go to five or six in the morning and you see a lot of men standing out in front of there and they're basically waiting to get picked up, you know, for like day labor stuff, Right. They don't advertise that I can hang drywall, I can paint, you know, I can, I can do electrical stuff. They just literally wait for somebody to come and say, get on the back of the truck. Man, we do the same thing with a college degree. We just sit and wait. And so what I want to tell the young people, listen, be aggressive on the job. If you have something you know you're going to work, that you know that can work, go to that leg director and say, that thing y'all about to roll out, that ain't going to work. This will work, and guess what? If it don't work, you can fire me. Those are the kind of people I need to hire. I tell people I want to hire innovators. I want to hire risk takers and I want to hire people who are not afraid to get their hands and feet dirty.
1: What are your thoughts on diversity in intercollegiate athletics and what are possible solutions to increase diversity?
0: My engagement with intercollegiate athletics has been around the Black student athlete. I mean, that is where my that is where my particular focus is. I think, you know, women have made a lot of strides in intercollegiate athletics. Uh, I think you look at the increasing number of women athletic directors, things of that nature. Um, But as it relates to the black experience in college athletics, we are still in many ways being left behind. Um, I think it will take people like yourself being courageous, um, being willing to take jobs sometimes that other people don't want, you know, maybe being willing to go to a South Dakota or something like that right in the middle of nowhere where you you can really get your program together, um, but I don't know, we just have to be much more courageous. And, and you know, for so long we fought to have a seat at the table. But I think we need to take that to another level. Number one, once you sit at the table, you got to speak up. That's number one. But number two, you know, um, it's not about just getting a piece of the pie. It's about who's going to hold the knife. Because the person holding the knife determines how big of a piece you get. So we want to be the people holding the knife.
1: As someone who does a lot of diversity and inclusion work, Why is it important for departments and workplaces to be diverse?
0: Here's what I tell people, because a lot of people think diversity and inclusion is about giving black people this and Latinos that, stuff like that. I tell people, um, you know, particularly someone who teaches classes on black politics, white students benefit the most from black studies courses, Mexican-American studies courses, ethnic studies courses, because they are beginning to realize that they have been cheated. We have um, educated white students in such a way where they aren't even prepared to operate in an increasingly diverse world. I tell my students all the time, if your best job offer comes on the east side of Cleveland, the west side of Detroit, Jackson, Mississippi, will you be able to function? <laughs> El Paso, Texas, will you be able to function as the only white person in an office or in an organization? And a lot of them won't be able to function. And so for me, um We still have got to do a lot of we got to do a lot of educating with our white brothers and sisters around these issues, Um, because they they don't even not only do they not know the 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 answers, they don't know the questions, and so we still got a long way to go in that regard.
1: We've seen the increase of diversity at institutions across the nation, but how can athletic departments become more inclusive? so that people of color have longevity within the industry.
0: Well, I'll say this, I think most, I tell all my grad students and all my, my undergraduate students, when you go work at an organization, you have to make yourself indispensable. You, I mean, the one thing that most companies worship is money. You gotta make yourself indispensable. And that means you gotta go in there and you literally gotta kill it. Now, even if you kill it, does that mean you'll get promoted? Absolutely not. But I believe if you kill it at, at University A, and they don't give you promotion, you can go to University B and do it. But also, I'll tell people about this it is also about the right fit. You know, it has to be a good cultural fit for you, it got to be a good professional fit, and it got to be a good spiritual fit. You know, so sometimes in college athletics, people get enamored by brands, by logos. Um, and, you know, Duke may sound like a good place to work, you know, when you see it advertised, but you know what? Uh, Alcorn State may be better for you just in terms of opportunities and cultural, spiritual, and professional fit. But that's what I I would just recommend.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Moore, for joining us for our first episode. We appreciate you sharing your insights and advice with our audience and are looking forward to next year's Black Student-Athlete Summit. Your efforts are making a tremendous impact. Be sure to catch us on our next episode titled, Get Your Life, A talk geared toward our rising stars, focusing on resumes, interviewing, and the art of building professional relationships. We'll see you next time. And thank you so much for listening to the Mecca podcast through our lens.
2: The music for this episode of the Mecca podcast was brought to you in part by Truth Gordon and the My Crown Music Group.